Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com, promo code OSCARS, for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Golden Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And... The Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, and I'm here for the special post-Christmas, pre-New Year's interview episode with my colleague, Julie Miller. Hello, Julie. Hi. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Julie, if you're here, it must mean that we are turning our attention to the royals. We have kind of a special crown-themed interview episode today because you spoke to both Dominic West and Elizabeth Debicki, uh, King Charles and Princess Diana themselves. Uh, are you feeling very regal after all of this? I am. I know. I feel like I should be wearing a tiara or something, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was nice to to get them on the line. So there were great conversations and yeah. I hope you enjoy. Yeah. I mean, I want to hear about your Dominic West conversation first because, you know, he's playing uh, Prince Charles at the time of the show, who's not necessarily known as the most charismatic person. But Dominic West is so charismatic. I mean, we've seen him on so many shows like that. And I wonder if you asked him how he kind of like tamped down his natural appeal to play uh, Charles, but also a version of Charles. So I think we're all kind of sympathetic toward even though he's doing some pretty terrible stuff this season. Right. I think he would answer by saying that his he definitely clamped it down by, you know, just keeping his mouth closed so much physically. And that probably <laughs> helped with the charisma a little bit. But he was great. And he talked about, you know, digging up that archival uh, video of Charles actually breakdancing, which oh he recreates at the end of, I think it's episode five. Mm -hmm. um, and then finding a few other videos that really helped inform him, including the Leaky Pen video of... <gasps> After right. the queen died, that just came right. came about. So you know, the king has some good good viral moments. <laughs> um, well, maybe let's hear about a few more of those and hear your conversation with Dominic West. Dominic, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we spoke 
I think it, it was right after the new season of The Crown came out. And, and I had to talk to you about the break dancing video. I think that was at the end of season five, because it's just an incredible archival clip of Prince Charles that I didn't know existed, where he is actually break dancing at an event. And I think it says so much about him, because in most situations, if you were asked to do that, I would certainly shy away. But he just he goes for it. Um, you told me that you actually gave the clip to Peter Morgan. Um, I'm curious, were there other clips you dug up like that that were sort of, you know, character discovery gold that told you so much about Charles in a matter of seconds? Well, um, actually, Elizabeth Debicki found that one about the breakdancing and, and uh, she showed it to me and I showed it to Peter and it's, it is gold, isn't it? It's brilliant. And it does, as you say, say so much about him, not just because he's, he's very sympathetic because he's, you know, he's giving it a go, uh, but also that he, and I noticed this with, with footage of him Scottish dancing at a thing called the Gillies Ball. Actually, Charles takes his dancing quite seriously. He's, you know, he quite, he quite fancies himself as a, as, a, as a dancer. So that was a nice character trait. But I, I can't think of any other clips. But when, um, when the Queen died and there was, uh, you know, all that accession ceremony and, and I, you know, I watched the television for a week solidly because there was so much material um, quite apart from the fact that, you know, I was in, you know, felt sad about the queen, but I don't know if you saw the, the incident with the pen. Oh, it was beautiful. It was so good. <laughs> well, it was so amazing that after the queen had never shown any sort of emotion or any sort of anger in 70 years and Charles took over and within, you know, within about five minutes, he was, <laughs> he was a bloody pen gong. God, get it away! And uh, that was just that was gold as a, as a character thing. Just because I think he's obviously inherited his father's um, temper, but he, but he is a man who wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's far more is immediately a different style. But that the pen and and the um, there was another incident. What was it? Well, it was all pens. He was really annoyed by the pens, <laughs> and that that I hadn't quite. I don't think I'd seen that flashing anger that I'd heard about. But that was a, a beautiful example of it. And um, actually, it made, I think, endeared me to him even more. It's kind of incredible that you're playing this character during this period of time where all of his peers are sort of, you know, realizing their dreams. They're doing what they have set out all their lives to do. And Charles still can't because he's in this very unique position of having to wait for his mother to die. I'm curious, has your understanding of the character changed since he's become king or how you think of Charles? Has, has that changed at all? Um, I don't know if it's changed, but I, I, Peter was very interested in, in, I think, exploring that, the man in his prime who's still got to do what his mother tells him. And, um, and he hasn't sort of reached his destiny. And we make a big thing of it, I think, in season five, or certainly in terms of Charles' storyline, that that here is a, a, a man impatient to realize his his destiny and become king. But I I I don't know. You know, I'm since he became king, we haven't heard a, a, a squeak out of him. Really, I mean, he's he's studiously avoided controversy or any sort of political to the point where he w wasn't going to go to COP twenty seven. You know, because the prime minister didn't want him to go. And I I think I think it's um there's something to be said for for him not. Of spending all most of his life not as sovereign, not as the monarch, and uh, and enabling him to do so much more, particularly in terms of the prince's trust and and his environmental campaigning, which um, 
which I suppose he can't really do now as sovereign. So, so I think I slightly changed my tune on him there, uh, even though it was from a dramatic point of purpose. I think I think um, Peter was very interested in in this idea of a a man impatient to um, or frustrated by uh, not getting the top job in his prime. Do you have plans for the coronation this spring? Oh, I don't know. I think we just been invited to a friend of mine in Yorkshire who's miles away from everyone, but the Yorkshire are quite, uh, they're quite good at uh, street parties. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so hopefully we'll, we'll get some Yorkshire cream teas. So we might go and do that. But other than that, no, no plans. But um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting because I think it's quite a sort of paired back. I, I've heard it's a paired back ceremony, which is always a shame. <laughs> right. I, I know you've met a few royals in your lifetime, but since the episodes have come out, have you heard from anyone who's in touch with them or who knows? No, not at all. No, that it's highly unlikely I ever will. <laughs> who's been the most surprising person you've heard from? Any other actors who've reached out? No, they haven't. No, they haven't actually. No, it's funny. No, I haven't because I know Josh O'Connor a little bit. I did a, um, I carried him through the sewers of, of Paris for about a week once in Belgium and um, on the Les Miserables. So I, we got to know each other pretty well. But I didn't dare, or I'd never got round to, but I actually I was a bit scared of getting in touch with him when I got the Charles job. But I did watch all his videos about how to play him. Oh. And, uh, picked up all his tips, which he was very generous with, actually, on uh, on general uh, release. Right. What a trivia note that you carried him through the sewers of how many people can you say that about? That's Well, exactly, yeah. And he's a big guy, you know. He's about six foot three. He's not light, I can tell you. <laughs> it's kind of amazing watching his version of Charles versus yours. Um, and I think Peter does this so well that he almost, like, creates new characters because they've yeah. evolved. They've been through so much. And whereas his Charles, at least in season three, was sort of fragile, it seems like Charles in season five has really come into his own and feels a confidence. And I don't know how much of that is that he's finally with this woman he loves. I don't know how much of it is is maturing. Did you kind of speak to Peter about that before filming the episodes? Yeah, very much. Yeah, he he was. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, all of that most that that uh, episode five is is really him finding his cause really and his uh and setting up this rival court which peter wanted to write about that you know he's realized his mum isn't going anywhere and uh and how to make the best use of his time and how, how to uh push his agenda and and that was very much uh i think what that episode was about in, in episode five i think i think actually what it what the way peter's written it and that it was uh it seems believable to me is that after going through the hideous humiliation of that taped phone call i think that was sort of rock bottom and after that it was all that the gloves are off and let's go for it because um, you know time's running out now I, I that's very much how i think uh peter was writing it and how i how i wanted to play it i suppose right and Elizabeth Debicki and Olivia Williams are both so good as Elizabeth and Camilla. Did you have long conversations with them beforehand, or is there so much on the page that you don't really need to to have those sort of conversations about relationships? Um, no, we did have. We get just the great thing about the Crown is you get a, the luxury of rehearsal, and we did have. Yeah, we had a few days sitting around a table and and talking about this fascinating subject, which I, you know, I'd love to talk about anyway, but just about how, you know, what was going on in their relationship at this point. And, and, and certainly 
I think for Diana and, and Charles too, they were at their lowest ebb. And I, I don't know, it became, it became, it became quite interesting because you sort of, I remember Elizabeth, who's, who's very playful anyway, was sort of, you know, constantly sort of <laughs> complaining if I spoke too much to Camilla and things like that, <laughs> uh, to Olivia. And, um, so we were slightly role playing as well. But, um, <laughs> Uh, and then I had amazing dinner, several dinners with Olivia to um, to talk about Camilla and Charles, and we both realised we really liked them a lot, and and uh, uh, particularly Camilla um, because she's so she's so sort of refreshing. And my Altuki, who was the director of episode five, was you know she said to me, you know, girls like me, we weren't really into Diana, you know, we were, you know, we were. We'd be much more on Camilla's side, you know, which was quite interesting. I thought, oh God, I thought that everyone was uh, was going to be anti uh, anti Camilla, but um, but no, I think I think it's it's an interesting way Peter's written it that it's there's a certain ambivalence or there's certain. I think everyone gets a fair fair hearing, really. Right, you you kind of understand why it works so well. Camilla's always been the royal. I'd most like to have a glass of wine with. She seems just fun. Yeah, you better have a big glass. <laughs> right. Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now, we're about to launch our first ever universe expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. I heard Helena Bonham Carter, a, a co-worker of yours on a previous project, convince you to do the show. Is that right? Uh, she, yes, I think she did, really. Yes, she rang me up and said, oh, just do it. Stop being stupid. <laughs> 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 because I was very, uh, quite rightly apprehensive about taking on not only a, a part that's quite a long way from me, but also one that's been so successfully done in such a successful show. And and she said, oh, you know, when the hell else are you going to get a part like this? So <laughs> she said, just get on with it. It's great fun. And yeah, I suppose, then I thought, yeah, I should need to get over myself. And I'm, I'm, and she was right. She was right. It's been, it's been a joy. It's been really fun. And it's great parts from with great writers and, and, and great people don't come around that much. You can't, I'm not in a position to turn stuff like that down. True. One of the most fascinating subjects for me on the show is when Peter really gets into the parent-child relationships because, you know, the queen did so much so well uh, professionally, but maybe made some mistakes like we all do as a parent. Um, and I'm curious 
how your relationship, Charles's relationship with William sort of evolves into the final season. In the fifth season, uh, he's William was actually played by your actual son, and he's incredible. But I understand that um, he's being William's played by a different character in season six, which I imagine is more of an emotionally safe choice given Diane's death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how does it change? I suppose it's interesting by... My boy, Senan was, uh, if you listen carefully in season five, he's on the phone to Diana, his mother. And um, and when he's on camera, which is, I, when he was filming it, his, his voice hadn't broken. But his voice then broke between the end of filming and the start of ADR, the recording, audio <laughs> recording. So if you listen, he goes, hello, mum. And then the camera hits on him. And he's going, all right, mummy, like that. And so he's he's got these two different voices. <laughs> So what happened was, and I suppose is what happens in in the script, in the fiction, that um, that he goes through puberty, he goes through adolescence, and uh, and that's as I'm discovering with my boys, that's a very that's a whole change in your relationship. They're just a little bit more distant, and they're a little bit they don't need you so much, and they uh, and it's tragic, right? <laughs> and I miss it so much, but <laughs> that's why I love watching him in the crowd. But he's um. And I think that's really what's happening with Charles and William. And I suppose that the death of his mother was, you know, compounded that, that distance and that sense. Um, I think definitely Peter is bringing out the uh, the anger, I think, that William has for his father and and, and against the world, really, because of uh, what happened to his mother. And and, um, and so it's it's he's interested in, sh- in showing, you know, Charles not getting on, you know, he's not getting on. It's not, it's not being easy. It's not easy for him with his sons and uh that's sort of that's very interesting to play because it's sort of compounds the guilt you know I, I when you see pictures of prince charles at the time it's just this intense sadness and intense guilt you feel or something just heavy and uh and of course my, you know that's that's going to be amplified by your children and and uh, i think that's very interesting of of of, of peter to sort of bring that out because it's a nightmare being a dad when you're when your kids, you know, they're angry with you or they, they they're not um, they're not open to you anymore. You don't have that access, and it's it's a really interesting thing to explore. I'm especially interested in this new season. Um, you know, Peter Morgan's such a master, but he's already covered this this period in history in the Queen. Um, so I, I'm very curious to see what he does with this period. Were you surprised when you read the scripts? I know there's, you know, so much or little you can say, but I'm curious if you were surprised by his approach to the period. Yeah, yeah, I, I was very, I, you know, very interested to know what he'd do, um, like you. And but then, of course, you realize you could write hundreds of films about this period. It was just, um, well, you see it in season five, the the Al Fayed angle. I thought that was very interesting. I thought I thought that's such a clever, clever way um, to look at it from a, a you know a different angle and a different perspective. Um, I think you said that there might have been a lot misunderstood about Diana that Peter Morgan might set rights um, between season five and season six. Can you expand on what you were referring to? Oh, did I? I, 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 oh. I another thing I shouldn't have said really, but I. I was talking to someone in America, my, my agent actually, and she said, "So, so what happened? So, like Prince Philip kills Diana? Is that is that?" Right? And I, I went, "What?" 
And then I was talking to a, a younger girl, English, London girl, friend of my daughter's, and she went, oh, yeah, yeah, who's Diana? I said, do you know Diana? Diana, yeah, she was the one who was killed by the Queen, wasn't she? And I, I thought, <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, people, this isn't actually as common knowledge as I thought it was. Right. Um, and you work with an incredible movement coach, Polly Bennett. I always like hearing about, you know, what what people pick up in terms of the mannerisms of characters, because I feel like it's, I don't know, it's interesting psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. What did you pick up aside from the lack of rhythm in, in the dancing through Polly? Well, he's got good rhythm uh, when it comes to Scottish dancing. Uh, more trad <laughs> music, he seems a bit better. But I, um, I well, the, the main thing was some... Um, Main thing was the tight jaw, you know, tight jaw, and that, I suppose that's the voice. But but also once you've got that, it sort of tells you you tighten the shoulders a bit, and and then we got into pointing. I, I'm always pointing, and he he's always pointing, and and um and that sort of helped quite a lot because you can sort of you know he does do sort of this sort of thing, and uh, and certainly in a walkabout with a crowd, it's very deliberate. He you know he points to people. In order to get a brief connection, so that he can work a huge, quite a big crowd, and a lot of people can think, "Oh, I had a personal moment with him there," and he'll look at him and go, "You, you're, you're here, aren't you? Come, you come far. And you're very good, and he's very funny. He's, have you met him? He's very funny. He's always doing that." So that was, I found that very useful, and and but mainly for me, it was it was containment. It was, um, you know, I'm a bit all over the place, and and you know, take up a lot of space, whereas he's very contained. The elbows are in and there is just sort of staccato pointing. And and um, and that that tells you a lot about his confidence, I think, his physical sense of, for instance, shaking hands. He doesn't reach out to shake your hand. He waits for you to come in. You know, it's, mm. it's, he doesn't, nothing ever has to be reached for. This is some someone to whom everything comes. Oh, and uh, so little tips, yeah, little stuff like that. I love all that stuff. You're, you're right. And Polly's brilliant at it. Right. Um, um, yeah. And just lastly, will there be more dancing in season six? <laughs> there is. Yes, there is. There oh, is. really? There is. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, Camilla's 50th birthday party. It's sort of 70s disco music. And um, and Camilla and he really get down. And uh and and Olivia was hilarious in her sort of speculation as to how Camilla might dance. I mean, it says so much about a character, the way they dance. So it's always an interesting one to explore. And she she, she was doing this dance, and I thought, I mean, it's a very distinctive dance. And I sort of thought, I've seen it before, so I mean, I realised that she's Theresa May. Do you remember Theresa May, our Prime right. Minister? She, there's a... I don't know when she's dancing. I think she comes on to Dancing Queen or something, and it's this sort of this sort of awful, awful, awful thing she does. And and Olivia had it down so well. And it's maybe being a bit unfair on Camilla to compare it to Theresa May's dancing, but it was unbelievably funny to do to watch. And I with Charles, he's saying, you know, I don't know what he's doing. Oh my gosh, anyway, I can't we had, wait to see it. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. That was that was really funny because I mean so often on this show, or quite a bit on this show, um, you do get a moment where you look around and everyone's dressed as a very famous role person and you do something that you're in pantomime, you know. You do, That's amazing. You, you think, she, looks, she looks so like the queen over there uh, when a Mel's there. Anyway, so there are 
countless times where you you do get a real sense of the ridiculous and and that the dancing is is definitely one of them Okay, Julie, now let's hear your conversation with Elizabeth Debicki, who played Princess Diana this season and really had such a tough act to follow after Emma Corrin, who broke out into stardom playing Diana last season. And I would say she exceeded all expectations. She made an amazing Diana. Uh, What did you guys talk about? Uh, We talked about she did make an amazing Diana, but the difficulty was making amazing Diana during such a hard, difficult time of her life. Mm. So we talked a lot about, you know, tapping into that isolation. Um, We also talked about Charles breakdancing that video, which (laughs) she takes great pride in because she she let it be known that she was actually the one who informed Peter Morgan of the video. And she was determined to get it like into the series somehow. And she, she found a way. So we can thank her for that. Yeah, what a gift she gave us. Really did. Really did. Um, well, maybe you guys will talk about something other than breakdancing. I have a feeling. Uh, so let's hear your conversation with Elizabeth Debicki. Elizabeth, thank you so much for doing this. I know you've been crazed with filming. Where are you now? Are you done filming? Are you still filming season six? So I'm still filming. I wrapped. Um, I wrapped. I'm like, what day is it? I wrapped on Friday. It's Monday. Um, my my brain is scrambled. We had like a really intense schedule that led us all the way up to Christmas, which I think is kind of the case. Any actor I know, which is all my friends basically, we're all just sort of crawling to the 16th of December. <laughs> so um, we got past it and I, I, um, I keep shooting in the new year, but I do have a little break. So. Well, congratulations on making it to the holiday. Thank you. Well, there was so much controversy before the fifth season aired, and I feel like after it aired, people realized, oh, okay, this this wasn't anything to worry about at all. How right. tuned in were you to the controversy? Do you care about that sort of thing? I think we all cared about it. It's a For me, it was a really unique experience because I've never done any television where I've come back to do a second season. So... All the TV I've done in the past is limited series. So for me, I've never been still shooting the thing that I'm doing the press about. Usually, you know, for me, it's always so, so far in the past, you know, that you have to kind of dig down into the well to remember, takes you a few interviews. But this was very, like, active for us. I mean, I was in Spain. I was shooting every day. And then, of course, the press starts to roll in. So and by that, I mean... Every now and then, could you do an interview? I did this one interview. I remember literally being on the boat. We have this enormous yacht and I'm I'm walking around the deck trying to find reception because they need to print the thing tomorrow. And so it became this interesting kind of split part of the brain, really, because you need to be able to speak about it. And it's because of the air quote controversy around this season we we became very aware that we needed to be careful about what we were saying because we all care so much about this show, obviously. And being on the inside of it, I think it took us by some surprise because perhaps we have this kind of understanding that what we're doing is clearly a drama and it's a drama that is an interpretation of historical events. And so the structure of the show, my understanding as an audience and then my understanding in doing it is always that you sort of hang the drama on these pegs of reality, but then 
Peter's in imagining the conversations that we never get to hear. So when suddenly I sort of learned that, oh, the, these conversations are happening back in England, where it's becoming quite heated about the disclaimer sort of conversation that really lit up and then the other conversations, I suppose, about, I mean, they are interesting conversations to have about, about retelling and history and who has the right to do that and what is or isn't off limits. But it also becomes a very interesting conversation, which I don't really care about today, about <laughs> censorship and about, you know, what that really means. Because if we cut off at a certain point, what, what are we left with as artists as well? So it's, but at the same time, I was able to stem back from it and also really understand what was happening. The different points of view made sense to me. And it's, uh, it's obviously very, very personal to the people it's personal to. And it's also a different stage of the Crown's retelling of history, which is very alive in people's memories and they have a lot of ownership over it. So I understand why it, why it sprung up the way it did. Well, in, in much lighter subject matter, um, one of my favorite things about The Crown is how Peter Morgan intersperses these moments with all the dramatic uh, interpretations, like we saw Prince Charles break dancing. There's an amazing moment where I think Princess Margaret has her full hair and makeup and silk scarf, and she's washing her plants with her gloves, just because what else would she do all day? Mm-hmm. Um and, and the Charles video is based on a real-life video, which is incredible to watch and gives you so much insight into the real-life Charles. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you find any, any real-life archival video of Diana that gave you like that sort of crazy glimpse into who she was? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that, and I've never told anybody this, <laughs> but it's one of my proudest achievements, which was we were in a rehearsal room and I had, I had seen the night before this breakdancing video and I like burst into the rehearsal room. It was Dom and our director, I think Christian, I think it was Christian, our director. And then Peter was sort of coming later in the rehearsal and I burst in. I was like, guys, you have to see this video. It's the best thing I've ever seen. And I showed it to Dom and he goes, oh God. And I said, uh, you just, you watch, I'm going to get this in somehow. He says, don't you dare. And so then Peter comes in and I played it quite cool. We sort of went through the rehearsal and as I was walking out the door, I went, oh, Peter, have you seen that video of um, Abel Charles breakdancing? And I like literally got it up on YouTube. And so that's my claim to fame. That's my one claim to crown. I'm clapping. Fame. That's incredible. Thank you. That thank was you, one of my you. highlights of the season. So thank, thank you. you. <laughs> no, I thought it was important as well because when I saw that, you know, it is one of those light bulb moments. You think, oh, wow, there, look at this person like this this humor, but it's also the commitment and it's also the kind of joy and also, you know, it's multi-layered that moment. So, um, yeah, I had lots of moments like that. Uh, I've watched so much footage that I couldn't really, I mean, loads of stuff springs to mind. Um, I guess it sort of depends what I was looking for because this, one of the things that became really clear to me sort of as soon as I started to watch and listen and read was there's this this incredible joy and playfulness and and sort of very childlikeness sense of play in this person who I was watching and studying and so that became very important to me to find ways to thread that through because it seemed um, integral to that spirit to capturing that spirit somehow and that was a lot of the things that people would tell me stories and a lot of the stories were about these funny little moments that, you know, somebody was saying, 
I got up and I was doing a speech. It was a very formal do. And she was sitting next to me the whole time I was doing a speech. She was sort of pinching my bottom to see if I would react. And so it's all that, you know, and I think I always adored the moments because the royal family always sort of have to greet when they come to a film premiere. They always greet the, the lineup of actors and there's all these gorgeous things. I mean, like there's throwing Atkins in one or there's these moments where that spirit bursts out and um, so those things. And uh, I think one of the, one of the ones I adored was um, I believe she was in New York and she was, Princess Diana was receiving an, uh, an award. It might've been, there's two events and I sort of mix them up, but I think it was a humanitarian award, um, maybe 95 or 96 or something like that. And uh, she's sort of receiving this award and she looks incredibly glamorous and calm and um, she's saying her speech about children and what they need and, um, you know, how we can sort of as a society care for our children. And there's a sort of heckler at the, in the background of the... And this person yells very loudly across the auditorium, where are your children? And uh, she takes this in- immensely beautiful pause and then she just looks up and she says very calmly, at school. And so, for instance, say one of the moments where you think, wow, like what an incredible collected, you know, you have, you have learned how to manage that. You did not fall into a million pieces. You, you kept your centre so strong. And so, you know, there's loads of, my brain is just full of loads of things like that, but. I'm sort of like a strange encyclopedia for things like that now. Um, you worked with Polly Bennett, this movement coach, um, mm-hmm. and you you really nailed Diana's physicality, especially in terms of, you know, looking up. And I don't know how she she's sort of looking down, but looking up with her eyes. I'm curious mm-hmm. what other mannerisms um, Polly pointed out for you to capture. I always find, you know, body movement fascinating. There were loads of things that because Polly, her superpower is, is that she's so incredibly observant and she manages to find the language to express to the actor what the psychological blueprint may be. I mean, she, I love her so much. She's an incredible human and, and a lot of people I think are slowly sort of learning about her because she's like the secret source in loads of things at the moment. You know, I mean, I, I just after... I started working with her when she just wrapped Elvis, for instance. Um, but, uh, you know, there's little things. Like I remember sort of one day we had a day where we were talking about bags and clutches because it's how a person handles that kind of object is so, well, I, maybe for, all, for most of us who are not used to being sort of observed constantly, we're much more maybe careless or just unconscious about it, but there was a very particular sort of formula to it. And, and for instance, the clutch is always across the sort of um, chest when you're getting out of the car. And when you know to look for it, you see it in loads of photos. And of course I sort of went, Oh, of course, of course you need to do that because when you're the most photographed person in the world, I mean, me personally, as an actor, I find the second when you have to get out of a car on a red carpet, horrific, because it's just sort of split between your something safe and, and just you're just yourself. And then you, you need to sort of fill that space and be able to keep yourself together. And um, it's a threshold in a way. And so the way she crossed that threshold when you watch footage of it or you see images of it, I mean, she was a master of it. She just 
as soon as she entered into that public space, she was just luminous and incredibly cautious about how the body was moving in space and making sure, of course, you can't afford to have any kind of slip up in any direction. So she really, she'd really mastered it. So I had to learn how to do that because not that I was going to tumble out of the car, but at the same time, you know, you want to do it properly. So, yeah. Has Diana rubbed off on you in any way? Do you find yourself, you know, doing something during a day and thinking, you know, that totally relates to her? You know, it's, it's kind of twofold. So studying this person to do an interpretation of her, you know, I learned an enormous amount because I don't think you could read and watch and study the real life Princess Diana and not be moved and feel that you are in proximity to an incredible life journey in which there was this enormous transformation and the transformation was happening because of a great deal of difficulty and hardship. And so that sort of core of strength, which was something that I started to learn was there, is extremely impacting on you. And you you realize the the resilience that this person possessed and the grace and the real strength and sort of stoicism in order to keep moving forward, but not just surviving, but sort of transmorphing into this incredibly beautiful and very, and I mean, the bravery was, was extremely moving to learn about as well, because I think part of the reason why she's so, she lives so deeply in our collective consciousness is also because of her courage to be very transgressive in the way that she addressed issues that she was personally experiencing and allowing a public discourse to happen when it never had before. I mean, those things, you can't underestimate the effect of them because she really was the first of her kind in so many ways. And to use that platform the way she did was, we now, we, we, it sort of, we almost forget now because there are so many forms of platforms now and people use them in so many incredible ways. But back in those times, I mean, it was, it's, it's fascinating. It's like the birth of this new cycle that fills itself with her and, and material about her constantly. And she sort of acknowledges that and uses it for good. I mean, that's remarkable. Not many people would be able to achieve that. So that, you know, I take all of that and it's a big mixture of things, but it's fascinating and it's very inspiring to me. And then I think the way that it maybe is, is present and, it, and it's hard to say, I mean, if we had this conversation in a year and I, ha- I wasn't still shooting, I might be right. able to answer it differently. But I sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this all day on set for, you know, 11 hours or something and then I come home and definitely the dialect hangs around, definitely the physicality hangs around. And I think um, if I've, I don't know, maybe like, probably I can't get away with doing it to my boyfriend, but, you know, if I met somebody on the street, maybe it appears more as a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I think that residue is something that happens a lot to actors, but this is the first time I've played a character for so long as well. So inevitably it lingers. Season five is such a lonely place for Diana. And we do see moments of that brightness and playfulness, especially with her sons. But does Mm. that carry on with you when you get home from set as well? Do you have to sort of stay in that 
dark place because she's in such a unique position, you know, as the most photographed, most followed woman in the world. Mm. Um, I'm curious about tapping into that. I would say last year, it was really difficult for me, the actor behind it, because I mean, speaking of residue, there's no way that you can enter into those places and sort of spend the day there really. And weeks there. Um, I think that, you know, I've, in the press I've done for this, some of the questions sort of often are what, you know, what's something that surprised you or what didn't you know? And I, I suppose given it, you know, it's an interpretation. This is Peter's interpretation of this period of her life and we're not to know how those hours at home were spent or not spent. And this is our interpretation of it. But I think um, there's a lot of evidence to, to point towards the fact that it was an extremely isolating period of time for this person and um, that dichotomy between public facing and then the intimate experience of celebrity. I mean, I feel like it's celebrity is even slightly reductive for this person because they occupied so many different spheres of public, whatever you would say, like public forums, I guess. Or, or at least the roles were, there were so many layers of that role. But um, that did surprise me, the depth of it. And uh, I suppose it makes a lot of sense because privacy is something that we all need. It should be something that we all have the right to. And I think a very complicated relationship with the media and the way that they just consistently transgress those boundaries were extremely difficult and how could it not be you know and um so what do you do I suppose you sort of just find a way to hide and try and sort of cultivate the things we all need like moments of peace and um, friendships and things you know relationships and things we need in order to feel safe and normal or whatever it is you know so those that was um yeah, it was, it was it was a deeply sad kind of place to dwell in as an actor. And I, I suppose I lived in it so much that I didn't really always notice it, but then I would notice it when I, like I would notice it on set when I'd, when I'd have like my kids back. I'd, I was like, these kids are the most gorgeous kids ever, but they'd come back and there was this terrifying woman being like, oh, you're back, I've missed you. <laughs> They're like, hi, you know, they've had like a whole life. They go to school. They're just a bit like, oh, we're back on set again, you know, and I'm like, come here. <laughs> then I realized like, wow, okay, it's been a long week for you. You're so happy to have the kids and then Nintendo's back, you know. Um, so that that's really when I would feel it. And and I would also miss the other actors a lot, the royal family actors, because I wouldn't see them very often. So I'd sort of desperately have long chats in between trailers, sort of just trying to fill in on what's happening in the other kind of the other world of the crown in a way. So yeah, it was it was difficult, but um you learn a lot also in that in that place about resilience, I guess, and yeah. We don't have to talk about it if you're not comfortable, but in in the subject of privacy, um, Harry recently made this docu-series for Netflix about sort of continuing Diana's legacy in, in mm. trying to have privacy and sort of separate himself from the media. Have you paid attention? Have you watched the docu-series? Have you paid attention to those headlines? I, you know, I haven't. 
seen it and I haven't um, paid attention to the headlines, although I believe my understanding, I've heard conversations on set, for instance, that it's pretty, it's been pretty, um, pretty much everywhere. Um, I don't really read the newspapers here terribly much. So yeah, I, 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 obviously I know what the documentary is about, but because I haven't seen it, I feel like I can't sort of comment on it. Um, but I, but I probably will watch it. I think I've heard from people that it's, it's also a conversation, like you just said, about the media here and its effect and the sort of transaction between that royal space that, you know, the, the I think someone sort of said like the space to fill within the media right. presence fodder and, and that it needs to be filled with royal news and how difficult that transaction has obviously been for them. But I haven't seen it, so... Yeah. You're focused on your interpretation of Diana. Did you speak to Kristen Stewart or Emma Corinne or Naomi Watts or any of the other actors who've attempted to play her, who have played her? No, I haven't had sort of Diana chats with people. And I think that was because in the beginning I was, I mean, overwhelmed about how on earth to do it, but also felt... It, it's a very delicate place. I mean, the process b- b- before doing any role is kind of delicate and you're very vulnerable, but this felt particularly delicate to me and I think I probably felt, I mean, totally unconscious. I don't, I know Emma, but I don't really know the other two actresses. I just imagine if I just called them up and been like, hey, so uh, you don't know me, but um, but I actually, in all honesty, would adore I feel like we could all maybe use a chat together, you know, like a part of me thinks it'd be so nice if we all just had a coffee and sort of debriefed about. Um, We would all have, I'm sure, very different like entry points into it, but I'm sure there would be an enormous amount of crossover and experience. So it would be very interesting to have that conversation. Dinner of Diana's. I would love that. (laughs) Did, Did you hear from anyone after the show aired that knew Diana? Um, in fact, I did, yes, which was unexpected. Um, it's interesting how these things kind of have this life that, um, like I said, because I was still working as well, I I mean, I think that the, the show came out and then I was back on set at whatever time in the morning, you know, so I really sort of tried to avoid being conscious of the fact that it was because it's just a sort of vulnerability <laughs> overwhelm. So um, I didn't know that that I knew people that would somehow be able to get those messages back to me in a way. So it, it really, it moved me a lot and it surprised me the little notes that I would, that I got or um, a letter here or there, which, yeah, I, I, like I said, I wasn't at all expecting it, but I have to say it did feel maybe all the more moving because it was so unexpected. So, yeah. Can you say what those those any of the messages were? I spoke to Andrew Morton, Diana's biographer, who said it was just a haunting portrayal because he felt like Diana was back in the room. Were they sort of right. to that note or tone? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't because I think that they they were very sort of very personal. But I I think it it was just about them. I guess it was a maybe not dissimilar in what Andrew was saying is that it sort of stimulated a very deep memory. And of course, with that memory, um, 
you know, that it moved them, that there was something that was, was um, very moving to them and stirred up a lot of, a lot of things. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was very, very touched by it and kind of woke up one in particular woke up very blurry eyed. And um, I think I was sort of going, I think I was jumping on a plane to New York and I, you know, wrapped really late that night and you just like brushing your teeth. And then all of a sudden you just, yeah, it kind of knocked me over a bit, but um, it was, it was lovely. Um, just lastly, have you thought about how you're going to exercise this role from your system? Because it's been so long that you've been playing her. I know. I know. I, I don't have a plan yet. It makes me really sad, the idea of it. So it may take longer than usual. I, you know, I've definitely played roles where at the end of it, you think, okay, whether it was because the role was very demanding or it was, um, you know, a really dark place to live in or something, you know, you think I'm ready now to just like shut the door to this. And, but this is very different. And I've, and I have such a love and respect for this character that I just don't really know. I I keep saying to people, well, I'll I got, I'll keep the good bits. I'm not letting go of those bits. You know, they're they're precious, and um, those bits I'll keep. So I'm not I'm not really sure what the exit looks like. But I think probably just time, really. Um, and I think I'll also really miss working with these people on this job as well it's it's really cliche but they become just so important to you and we wrapped for christmas and i tried to say a speech to the crew and mind you it had been quite an emotional scene but i was just so embarrassing all these lovely men and women standing there and camera crew and i sort of went i'm not gonna cry but i just want to say thank you for you know i was like oh my god just deeply embarrassed myself but um i do love them so I don't, I don't really know. This time, I guess, will pass. And uh, But I, it's been an extraordinary... It is an extraordinary character to play and it's an extraordinary kind of space to occupy because I've just learnt so, so much, really. So I'm very, very grateful for it. That does it for today's episode. We are taking a break for the rest of the week. We'll be back next week with more interviews and conversation. In the meantime, please enjoy a brief end of your break. You can find us on Twitter at HWD and on our own. I am at Katie Rich. And Julie, how about you? Julie W. Miller on Twitter. And also, we should say that Julie did incredible coverage of The Crown. So if you want to hear more of where all this came from, please go to VanityFair.com. Look up Julie's name. There is a lot to read. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. Brett Fuchs. 